So fun fact, I used to hate speaking in front of people. Um, really did hate it. Um, slightly better somewhat now. But I love getting to talk about Jesus. Um, and I find it so interesting how God takes us with all of our imperfections and all of our imperfect words and then adds a massive dose of the Holy Spirit to turn this into something profitable and edifying and good. Well, that is my prayer for this morning. But truthfully, I find the whole idea of communication really interesting. Um, and you know, the weird thing about communication is that it's not just the words we speak. It's, it's a process. It's a culmination of tone and body language as well as the words that we speak. And experts can't quite agree on the statistics of how much is which part. But I think we can all likely agree that what I'm saying, how I'm saying, and what I'm doing while I'm saying all culminates as communication. It's the total message. And we synthesize this information all of the time um, to help us discern and figure out what exactly is being communicated. Because sometimes what we communicate verbally may not exactly be truthful. Now, I know that you discern things all the time and you're able to discern truthful communication. Um, we're going to quickly have some fun with that and test some communication skills. So we're going to play. Um, it's normally two truths and a lie, but we're not going to do that. We're going to do one truth and two <clears throat> untruths. Okay, so I'm going to give you three statements, and you have got to find the one that is truthful. I am so happy about my in-laws coming to live with us for three months. Statement number one. I hate my husband. Statement number two. <laughs> Statement number three. My favorite food is cake. <laughs> In case you are wondering, I love my in-laws. They are not living with us for three months. And I do love my husband, even when he drives me crazy and tells bad jokes. Um, but have you ever wondered just how incredible it is that we can communicate without even knowing it. And you know when you've walked into a room and you can just tell that you totally walked into a situation by the atmosphere. It's like you could cut it with a knife and you look and you see tight lips and tense bodies and you know something just happened without even hearing a word. Or when you walk into a restaurant, you're able to see who is having either a really bad day or they just just hate their job. And similarly, you can tell the server who is really happy to be there because their face just beams. Isn't it fun watching people? 
I mean, people are just so interesting because they say so much. And in fact, the more that we learn about body language, we learn enough to make us slightly paranoid. Like, you know, am I folding my arms? Do I look disinterested? Um, what does my face say? And I was rather thankful when we had to wear masks, not for the obvious reasons, but the fact that you couldn't see what my face was trying to tell you. And we all got to learn how to read eyebrows and eye crinkles, and we became really good at it, right? We, we learned to read people. And we did this, and we still do it because we're always communicating something all of the time. We cannot not speak, and it's just super fun to watch. Other times, the complexity of communication can actually come in really useful because we all know, for example, how to make an application form or a resume look brilliant. But interviews give us a different perspective. I've had candidates who look amazing on paper, but then when you bring them in and you place them in a situation, they lack those interpersonal skills in order to do the job. It's possible to see at an interview who wants a job and who really believes in a ministry. Working with women in recovery, I've seen that moment when I'm talking with someone who wants freedom from their addiction. In that moment, they are wanting that. And I've also seen those that are wanting freedom from the jail cell that they're sat in. I talk about high stakes communication we all get to learn so much when we watch people because we cannot not say something. And so today I want to dig into what Jesus is communicating about communicating. Our big idea today is that believers are called to be salt and light. And a quick recap of how we have got here. Jesus has been teaching and he's been traveling in the region of the Sea of Galilee. He's been preaching. He's been teaching. He's been healing people. And people are now traveling to come and see this Jewish rabbi. But rather than teaching the crowds, Jesus goes and he sits down with his disciples. And we don't know how many there are at this point, but it's um, likely not just the 12 that we might imagine. But we know that this is not a sermon to the larger crowds. And he kicks off this section with the Beatitudes, the uh, series of progressive statements that Pastor Gordon walked us through last week. And then we arrive here at this passage that Eve read for us. Jesus is addressing his disciples and he's giving them a picture of what they are like. Three pictures, in fact. Salt, city, and light. Now, many a sermon has been preached digging into the details of these three pictures. So today, I actually plan on going a slightly different route, but I think we need to start by understanding what these three images are of. So Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. 
Now, people have often wondered what Jesus meant by salt, or at least word nerds like me. Um, But salt had many different uses in Jesus's time. It was a valuable commodity, and it was used for preserving, fertilizing, cooking, flavoring, and all of us can get so tied up trying to work out what Jesus is talking about here. And the NLT, the New Living Translation that we have on our screens today, um, indicates the word flavor, uses the word flavor indicating the meaning that it feels is behind because there's a Greek word play going on. But actually, the biggest use for salt was preserving. Uh, It was used in large amounts. But this is not where I'm going to be a nerd. Because sometimes we get so tied up trying to find meanings to each kind of use that we miss something. Salt is really useful. Okay? Whichever use of salt that Jesus had in mind, salt has a use. It is really useful. Whether useful for preserving or flavoring or fertilizing All of them had some use. And salt was often created through evaporation, and that could lead to other impurities becoming mixed in. And impure salt was defiled. It was worthless. And useless salt was discarded. Right? Jesus moves to the next image. You are the light of the world like a city on a hill. Oh, I don't think that Jesus is referring to a specific city here. He could be. He might be talking about Jerusalem, but he's not there right now. Um, But again, his teaching is simple yet profound. A city in a prominent location is noticed. It is seen. And then there is light itself. Now, light is pretty important, but I think that Sometimes it can be really hard to imagine darkness because light is everywhere around us here in Ohio. There is so much light being given off that it is hard to see the stars for all their beauty on a dark night because of all the light pollution. And even if you go camping to a state park, even tent camping in a state park, it is still really hard to experience darkness just because of where we live. One time I got the opportunity of experiencing darkness was in Tanzania. We were, a team of us were there uh, doing a training program for pastors. And we had two vehicles. We had the truck belonging to my Kenyan friend, John. And we had a rental vehicle for the other half of the team. And we were traveling all around Tanzania, which is a very, very large country. Um, And we realized something about this rental truck, or this rental van. It turned out that it didn't have functional headlights. And of course, we discovered this at night, going up a mountain pass. (laughs) Um, And... We had our truck with the functional lights, and behind us, we decided would be the rental van kind of following us along as cars zipped by on this alleged two-lane road, some also not with headlights, 
Um, and it was a little scary. And so our truck had to kind of lead the way up with this other van of our friends following us so that we could arrive safely. It was only by that second hand light could they see anything. And I think in many ways that the bonus was the darkness because we couldn't see the drop down this side of the road, right? But those two headlights and a whole lot of prayer got us safely up and to our destination and we we're all alive to tell the tale. And so it's times like that that I really appreciate light and even how two small bulbs changed everything that night. Now, Israel knew the value of light. They didn't have light switches on their walls. They didn't have Alexa turning things on and off for them. They had small clay lamps that they filled with olive oil and they had a, a wick that they could light. And then once it was lit, it would be placed up on a stand so that it would allow life to go on after dark. It was then placed on a stand so that it could give more light and push back that darkness. Because that's what light does, is it pushes back that darkness and it reveals what is hidden. Or here, Jesus says that his disciples are light. The visible, they are visible beacons in this world. They are pushing back the darkness and they're revealing the kingdom values by being seen. There was another group of people that were often seen in Jesus' time, the, the Pharisees were known for their religious efforts and strict adherence to the laws. They were known for doing things right. The external was right. They adhered to the laws. They even added to the laws because just to make sure that they didn't break any. They added a few extra. Um, they went to church. They didn't smoke. They didn't drink. They didn't dance. They didn't listen to rock music. They made sure that the outside was as presentable as possible. And they weren't the bad guys. They are like many Pharisees that are still found in churches today. They knew the rules. They followed them. But that's the outside. It misses the point that Jesus is saying. He doesn't want his disciples to look good on the outside, but he wants them to be a light because of the change on the inside. And, and what Jesus is saying is not new. God has be consistent through time and has a consistent message for his people throughout time. In the Old Testament, God made a covenant with a guy named Moses and people called Israel. Now, you might be familiar with this story. We actually sang a, a line alluding to this story this morning. There was Pharaoh who had enslaved God's people. Um, and then there was a reluctant guy named Moses who saw a burning bush that turned out to be God, and God tasked him with a job he really didn't want to do, um, which was to go and confront Egypt, uh, go confront Egypt, go and confront the Pharaoh to have him release Israel. Now, then we had the plagues, we had the parting of the Red Sea, and it's such a great story. If you've not read it recently, go back to the book of Exodus, because it's a brilliant story that the Bible keeps going back to time and time again, even in the New Testament. 
So on the other side of that Red Sea uh, moment, about three months later, God has been leading his people, and now they're at, at Mount Sinai. And this is where God explained what it meant for Israel to be his people and for him to dwell among them. Hear this from Exodus 19. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. And then... God gives the Ten Commandments. So Israel's calling and identity were clear. They were God's treasured possession. And they were to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Though all the earth belongs to God, Israel belonged to God in a special way. They were his people. They were a holy nation and they were set apart for his purposes. A priest represented God to the people and the people to God. They, they were the intermediary, interceding on the people's behalf. They mediated his truths, his commands, and, and grace into the lives of people. And Israel stood collectively as a kingdom made up of priests. They stood among all the nations of the earth in a priestly role, ready to represent God to the nations. Rather than keeping God simply to themselves, God always wanted Israel to be so different that the other nations would notice. Essentially, that is the law. That's the passages that we get to when we are reading in Leviticus about bulls goring people and about cleansing rituals and all these weird and wonderful passages and circumcision and all this stuff that just seems a little different. God was setting Israel up to be different to look different, to act differently because they loved him and they followed him. So Israel was supposed to be that light that they followed the law out of love and God always intended that light to go out to the Gentiles. See Isaiah 49. So it's perfect, right? What can go wrong? Well, what went wrong was that God's people didn't do a very great job of this. So time and again, we read in the Old Testament how things went really, really wrong. Israel disobeyed God's laws. They took foreign wives. They compromised. Um, they, rather than assimilating others into the nation, Israel became corrupted by other nations and the ways of the world, and they forgot their God. And even as we arrive in the New Testament, the problem has not gone away because sin hasn't gone away and sin still creeps in in different ways. So spiritual leaders now are not taking foreign wives. Instead, the outward adherence to law had become their religion. 
You know, so much so that later on in the book of Matthew, Jesus even calls these spiritual leaders spiritually dead. He calls them whitewashed tombs. Because the focus should have been on the giver of the law, but it became on the law itself. And so a new way was made. Now, way is Jesus. I mean, who better to reveal God than God in the flesh? And so Jesus steps down from heaven and moves into the neighborhood. And he is going to be the one who reveals the heart of God and the kingdom of heaven. He is a light. He's the light. That's what he says. I am the light of the world, he says in John Israel had failed to live by God's ways. They hadn't kept the law because they had not loved God with their heart and with their soul and with their strength. They had, they'd so assimilated into the world that they could not witness. They were like useless salt. They were unfit for the purpose because they could not be a light to the world. And so now God was going to do something different. Jesus was revealing the kingdom of heaven. And now in Matthew 5, he tells them that they are going to do this too. You are salt, he says. Be useful. You are a city. You're seen. You're a light. You're pushing back against the darkness and you are revealing the kingdom you're being a witness to the world. Jesus' disciples are later described by Peter like this. Listen to the words here. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. So the light that Israel was intended to be, Jesus, now here in Matthew, says his followers are going to be. That's their role. But just like Israel before, Jesus isn't starting with a list of rules to follow. He starts with the heart because the heart comes first. The heart must change first. If Jesus' disciples are going to be salt and light, then first of all, Jesus needs to be their king. They need, he needs to be the one that they follow. He, they need to be his followers, and he needs to be everything. In Matthew so far, we, we've seen that there are two kingdoms. There's the earthly kingdom with its immediacy and its desires. And then there's God's kingdom, kind of upside-down values. And as we saw last week, the passage of the Beatitudes essentially begins with, who is king? God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So we can't go any further until we get this part down. Just as Jesus talked with his disciples and instructed them, here we have to understand that these statements of being salt and light are for disciples. Because if we don't, they become something that we try to do to earn God's favor. And we can't. 
or they become ways that we maybe feel a little bit better about ourselves. We're not. Or ways to try and impress other people. Um, but Jesus speaks against that in just another chapter. See, without a fully submitted heart, being salt and light become works rather than for God's glory. But if Jesus is king, then his disciples want God's kingdom values. They want his reign. And only then can we start to look at how. Are you with me so far? We got here. Are you ready to find out how? Because I think the next challenge is how are disciples supposed to be salt and light? And I think it comes down to an issue of hats. Yeah, you, you heard that one right, hats. So I'd like for a minute to wear my, my church hat. So this is my rather fancy church hat. Um, okay, it's, it's not really a hat, but it's, uh, I think it's really nice and it looks cute. And I'm sure you'll agree it says something. Um, but I like this hat and I think I look nice. And so I want to wear my church hat to church. And naturally, I want to wear my church hat to Bible studies and because I want to look nice. And sometimes if I'm going out in the community, I might also want to wear my church hat. In fact, when I'm doing anything outside, I might want to make sure that I got my makeup on and my church hat. The thing is, truthfully, I also really like to wear something a little more comfortable. In fact, I like to wear leggings and pants with a lot of stretch in them so I can eat more. Um, but I think that the problem of hats is the problem that the church has today. Because we want to wear our church hats for church. We want to wear them for faith stuff and for Sunday best, discipleship things. But really, we want to wear our comfy stuff when we think no one is looking. So I have my praying hat, my discipleship hat, my spiritual hat, my sacred hat. And then I have the rest of my life, my work, parenting, groceries, you know, regular secular stuff. So I might put my church hat on for faith conversations, but then I'm off the hook and I can get comfy again. Like there's a time for the sacred and then the rest is just secular. But I don't believe that's what God ever intended. You see, in, in Matthew later, he, late, Jesus later says, go and make disciples. It's up there. Actually, he says, as you go, make disciples, or going, making disciples. As you go, make disciples. And I think it applies here. As you go, be salt. As you go, be light. In fact, our faith has always been meant to be lived out in discipleship ongoing moments. Listen to this from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today 
are to be on your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. There's not a time for the sacred, a time for devotion, a time for evangelism and discipleship, and then the rest is just normal life. But rather, all of life points to what we believe. The secular is sacred. This means that in Jesus' kingdom, there is no difference between the secular and the sacred. There is no church me and at home me. There is no public and private me. There is just me. So I can take my church hat off because it doesn't impress God who knows all things and it doesn't impress people who are watching all things and see a difference between the church me and my private me and they just call it hypocrisy. But if I am just me and you are just you, and if all of life is sacred grounds, and if all of us belongs to all of him, then being salt and light isn't an action. It isn't an act of evangelism. It's a heart posture. Do you get that? I think that's exciting. It's not an action. It's a heart posture. It's not what we do. It's what we are. It is who we are becoming because of God's Holy Spirit working in us. It is that transformation from the inside out because Jesus has permeated every fiber of your being. And You embody the Beatitudes because you love him. And so he is in the work form of you. And he is in the parenting part of you. And he is in the going to work part of you. And he is on the the phone to the customer service for the sixth time part of you. He is in you and you are abiding in him. Because we are to be his holy people. Salt. City, light, useful for his purposes. To be visible rather than huddled away only in Christian environments. And we're to be light that pushes back against the darkness and reveals what God has to say about things. And we're calling others out into his wonderful light. That's not easy. See, John the Baptist, we learned about him a few weeks ago. Yeah, he, he tried to do that. He did do that. He, he pushed back against the darkness, and he said what God values, and yeah. And then there were the apostles and the martyrs. Like, it's not easy to be a light. The enemy wants darkness just to reign over our land. But if we are not useful and we are not visible and we are not revealing Jesus, then we are useless at bringing glory to him. We are as useless witnesses and we are as useless as saltless salt. 
talk about high stakes right there. And it's kind of enough to make you feel nervous, right? But hear this, my friends. When we hunger for God's justice, people notice. When we speak the gospel, people notice. When we speak out God's heart into broken situations, people notice. People notice when you speak with your lives. You think, wait a second, Cart, speak out the gospel? That's his job. But it's not. Well, it kind of is. But God called you. God chose you. God placed you to be in your environment, in your friendships, in your workplace. Pastor Gordon, he's pretty awesome, but he's not you. He doesn't have the relationships that you have, and he is not going to have the impact that you have. When you are a light, God gets to reach out into your places and be involved, and his spirit just go out because you are there, and you turned up, and you are faithful, and you are obedient. That's all we got to do. Because the church is not a building where we just turn up and we learn some things and we sing some cool songs. It's a people. It's a people of God going out into the world, revealing the kingdom of God and revealing what God cares about. So you, you are necessary. And whatever your circumstances of life right now, maybe they're great. Maybe you want to celebrate. Maybe you're grieving or mourning. Maybe you're doing parenting, caring for kids or even your grandkids. Maybe you're just working to stay afloat and put food on the table for your family. But you showing up shows what it means to follow him. You know, even when you mess up, you get to apologize. And even that points back to God. I mean, how awesome is that? It is so amazing because you cannot not say something. Everything you do says something. And so the big idea is simple. Believers are called to be salt and light. The city on the hill is you and me. And if Christ lives in you, then you can make a difference for the kingdom. You get to reveal what God can heal. Get to be a small bulb of light on someone's dark night. As you go, everywhere you go being the church. So our next steps for today... We've got to start with a hard question. First question is to ask Jesus, are you my king? Do you know him? 
Have you committed your heart to him? You chosen to follow him? And if, you, if you've not made that decision today, then I urge you to, to stick around and talk to me or Gordon or Craig or anybody because we would love to tell you about Jesus. The next question we can ask him is do others see your values in me? How can I show you more, Jesus? And our last question to Jesus is where do you want to go this week? So what do we get to take away this week? Well, we get to take Jesus. We get to take Jesus with us wherever we go to be the church. If you bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are incredible, that you desire to be known, that you have always desired for people to worship you because you alone are worthy of all praise and all our worship. We thank you that you call us as imperfect as we are to be your hands and feet, to show others who you are and what your kingdom looks like. We thank you by the power of your spirit that you allow us to join in your mission. Father, we pray that as we go this week, you would embolden us. You would allow us to step into the dark places and be a light. We pray that you would help us find the courage to speak words into brokenness and to show your heart to those who need to hear and see you. We thank you that we get to do this because of Jesus, because you gave everything for us so that we may be your people. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Carl, so much for sharing God's word with us today. What a joy it is to learn something new as you open God's word. Will you stand with me? Receive the blessing of the Lord as we head out here today. Now, church, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Say with me, go and be the church.